This episode of the Single Tracks podcast is sponsored by the Gunnison Crested Butte Tourism Association. Single Tracks readers rate the Gunnison. Three, two, one. Single Tracks readers rate the Crested Butte Gunnison Valley area in Colorado one of the top five mountain bike destinations in the world. If you're planning a trip to Crested Butte or the Gunnison Valley, be sure to get the CBG Trails app for Android or iPhone. It's the only complete map app covering all 750 miles of single track in Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley. You can even earn prizes for unique trail miles ridden. Learn more at mtbhome.com app. That's mtbhome.com app. Hey everybody and welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Aaron and I'm here with Jeff and Greg today and we are going to talk about how to lead a group mountain bike ride. This topic came up because I like to lead group rides and uh, so I thought we'd give you guys some pointers on how to make a good group ride. So first off, you have to pick a route, right? Because you have to know where you're going. So that's step one in a successful ride is having a good route. So what are the uh, different types of routes, Jeff? Basically, there are like three different route types. You get your loop, your point to point, and your out and back. Each one's a little bit different for a group ride. So on a loop, you're going to want to make sure that everybody makes it back to the starting point and Um, This one's a little riskier because unlike an out and back route, you're not going to be able to see people who are lagging behind. You know, an an out and back route is going to make it so that you, when you're turning around and going back, you can see people who are struggling behind. And some of them may choose to, you know, turn around and follow you back, uh, which makes it a little bit easier, allows uh, the less strong riders to shorten up their ride pretty easily. And then the other one, the point to point, that one's... That one's kind of risky, in my opinion, uh, for a group ride, just because you don't know if everybody's going to make it to the end point, um, and then you're going to have to figure out the logistics of getting people back to the start, wherever their vehicle is, or, you know, however they got to the ride in the first place. So, you know, if you're if you're trying to make a really group-friendly ride, I would say the out and back is the most friendly, followed by a loop, um, and then finally a point-to-point ride. Yeah, with the point-to-point, there are a lot more uh, logistics to to handle, as you mentioned, uh, you know, setting up shuttles. So that means having a car at both ends or having someone ride back to the start to get a car. So a little more difficulty there and probably not ideal for a large group. Once you have a route chosen, it's probably a good idea to scout your route, right, Greg? Yeah, I'd say you really want to pre-ride your route beforehand, and that way you can let the people who might think about coming know what to expect. And I think this becomes only more and more important the longer and the more difficult the route gets. You know, you want to have a pretty decent idea of what you're getting everybody else into so you can take care of um, all the potential things that will come up, which we'll talk about more. Another thing to consider are bailout points along your route. So this is one benefit, I would say, of doing your ride in a complex trail system. So even though we're talking about a loop, you could be doing a loop in a trail system that would provide you with multiple options. So you could shorten, cut off halfway through the loop, maybe lengthen if you've got a bunch of people who are just chomping at the bit, um, change the ride however you need, depending on how the rest of the group is doing. 
Yeah, and a couple other things to keep in mind when scouting the route. You know, that's going to let you know how difficult the ride is. You know, it's one thing to, like, look on a map and say, oh, this looks like a good loop. Like, I'm going to bring a bunch of people on it versus actually going out and seeing how big are the hills, how technical are the rocks, you know, all that kind of stuff. You need to know that uh, before you start inviting other people, unless it's a more of a, like, exploratory ride, which we'll talk about later. You're also going to want to know about resources along the route. So if there's places to refill water bottles or, you know, stores along the way where people can stock up on snacks if it's a really long ride. And then also when you're scouting out the route, you know, I always like to make a GPS track of where I'm where I'm going on the route. Um, a lot of people will ask for that ahead of time. They'll want to know, you know, maybe they don't have time to do the whole loop that you're envisioning and, and they want to like plan ahead of time. Like here's Here's the modified route that I'm going to take or whatever. Um, And also, yeah, people can a lot of times gauge better themselves if they see a map of the route that you're going to take. Um, So that's that's always really helpful. Yeah. And like you said, uh, you know, scouting the ride is going to give you some insight on any changes that you should maybe make, because like you said, it's one thing to look at it on the map. But then if you get out there and you you ride a certain trail and maybe you're like, oh, this trail was fun, but it'd be better in the other direction, you know, so instead of like climbing this trail, we'll descend this trail. So that's definitely good things to note. And if you're going to scout beforehand. Yeah. One other thing that that does for you is it gives you a lot more confidence. People aren't going to feel good about following you if you're like stopping at every intersection and like pulling out your map and, you know, you're not sure, like, is it the right turn or the left turn here? You know, you want to scout it out ahead of time so you know the landmarks and you're able to confidently just go through the route and people aren't wondering, like, does this guy really know where he's going? Exactly. So, speaking of that, you know, we've picked our type of route, we've scouted our route, and now we're going to talk about who we want to invite on our route. So, one of the most important things, I think, is to know your audience, right? Yeah, that's right. It depends on the kind of ride that you're doing. So, um, you know, if it's a big, epic, like 50 mile cross country ride, you're not going to want to invite, you know, all your buddies that you go to the downhill park with on the weekend. And you want to know, yeah, what kind of trails people are going to enjoy. You don't want to come up with like a suffer fest and, you know, just make people miserable on the ride. You want to invite the right people for the ride. So a good thing is to be honest about what people are going to get into. Let people know what they're going to experience, even if it's like, say, a long gravel grinder climb or maybe a brutal hike a bike or some really difficult downhill sections. Just be honest and don't sugarcoat it. And that allows people to mentally prepare for what they're going to get into. Personally, I sometimes have an issue where you know, I really don't want people to get in over their heads. And then sometimes I oversell the difficulty of the ride and thereby scare some people off. But then I wonder to myself, maybe if they get scared off, then it's for the best. But, you know, at least that's what I like to think. It's a it's a fine line between encouraging people to try things that are going to challenge themselves and, you know, taking them somewhere that's going to be over their heads and create a dangerous situation. Yeah, I, I'm bad about this. I tend to minimize sort of the difficulty of rides and tell people, oh, no, you'll do fine. You know, you're you're going to be great. And then... Yeah, I always regret it because I get out there and I'm like feeling bad for the person the whole time or I'm feeling guilty and it just it ruins my whole ride. They're not having fun either. So, you know, it's better to tell people it's going to be really tough, you know, and maybe kind of overemphasize the toughness of the ride beforehand. 
Yeah, I think the mental aspect is really a big one for me. You know, if I'm being led by someone in particular, a buddy of mine, he always likes to say, oh, you know, it's just two more miles and then two miles go by, you know, so you've mentally prepared. And, you know, I I will ask at the towards the end of the ride, generally when I'm not feeling super great and I'm ready to get back to the car, you know, when someone tells you, oh, it's just two miles or five miles and then two or five miles go by and you go, oh, yeah, it's just a couple more miles. You're like, wait. Uh, like he thinks it's good because you know it'll just keep you moving but you know if there's 20 miles left in the ride tell me there's 20 miles left and i can (laughs) freak out and then you know figure out a way to mentally and physically deal with that yeah i need to get better at that (laughs) one thing you kind of touched on greg is the capability of the the riders in the group so do you want to say anything more about that Yeah, so I've got a brief story right here of a ride I led recently that went wrong. And I think it really speaks to being realistic about how technically capable your riders are. So I generally send out texts to guys when I'm going to go ride and I plan far enough ahead of time to go out. And I texted a bunch of my normal riding buds, but also a newer rider who's a friend of mine. And we've just been talking about riding. I was like, oh, this, this route should be fine for him. I knew he was in great shape. And we climbed like 2,500 feet or something to the top of this descent, and he just crushed it, you know. So I was feeling pretty good about things. But then he crashed a few seconds into the beginning of our our lengthy descent and tore a big hole in his knee that ended up requiring stitches. But that rattled his confidence for the rest of the ride down. And what I considered to be a relatively easy descent was extremely, extremely challenging for him. Like the, the ride down took... A long time. He also ended up crashing off the trail a couple more times, falling into a nearby creek. And since this was an after work evening ride, the sun set, the temp started to drop, and we started getting into uh, more of a survival situation to the point where you know our ride went from hey, this is fun to hey, we need to get you know this guy out of the woods, make sure like he doesn't get hypothermia, and like you know make sure we we make it out. And we ended up finishing way past full dark. It was like 9.30 p.m. And this descent that I thought would take 20 to 30 minutes ended up taking us an hour and a half. So it was a reminder to me that even I thought it would be all right, but it wasn't, you know. So you really have to be very careful and be really honest about technical difficulties of the riders that you're inviting. Right. Yeah, I think uh, another thing in addition to, you know, the difficulty of the ride, you need some sort of time estimate. And humans in general are just really bad about estimating time, like estimating how much time has passed and how long it'll take you to do a certain task. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. And also, you know, the more people you start adding to the group, the longer it's going to take. So maybe that means you either need to cap the ride at a certain number of riders or you need to start earlier or you need to modify it but time can definitely be a factor especially when you're talking about a ride that's later in the day or maybe depending on the season you know you obviously don't want to be out after dark in the winter that's less than ideal yeah i've gotten to the point where i don't like to give time estimates for rides um, especially when you're talking about an epic length ride because you know shit happens But like you said, you're generally limited by something. You know, it could be the darkness setting in. It could be food or water. It could be weather in the high country rolling in midday. So even without a time estimate, you still want to try to get your specific ride accomplished based on those limiting factors. 
Yeah, another thing with the time estimate, I think it's smart to do the same thing and overestimate like you do with the difficulty. You know, tell people, if you think it's going to take an hour and a half, you know, make it two, two and a half. I do a good job about that part of it um, myself. I do tend to tell people it's going to take more time because you never know how long the ride's going to take. Something might happen. And if it takes less time, then you got time to kick back and, you know, have a beer. Exactly. Yeah, I like to, for those kind of rides you're talking about, Greg, I definitely like to just tell people that you're going to be gone all day. That's what you need to plan yeah. on. It's an all-day ride, which could mean, any, you know, that could mean four hours or it could mean six hours or it might mean, you know, eight, nine, ten hours if shit goes really sideways. So, yeah, for big, big rides like that, I just like to tell people, like, you're welcome to come on this ride, but, like, this is the kind of route it's going to be. It's going to be all day. So if you need to be back in town at two o'clock in the afternoon to go to your daughter's recital, like that's probably not going to happen. This is probably not a good ride for you to go on. So yeah, maybe like you said, it, it is, it can be really difficult to put an exact time frame on big rides like that. But if you just tell people, Hey, clear your schedule, this is an all day ride, maybe all night, who knows? <laughs> And one more thing I wanted to mention, uh, Jeff kind of brought it up earlier, but, you know, there's no reason that a ride can't be exploratory. So maybe you have, like, a very rough idea of what you want to ride. You know, maybe you want to explore some new trails or something like that. You know, maybe it's just something you've seen on a map and you don't know if it connects. There's no reason not to do that with a group, but it's I, I find it's best to do these with, like a, like, a small kind of elite squad. And, again, just make sure everyone knows that's the kind of ride that they're going on because if they think you're going to do a loop of a well-established trail and then you end up pushing your bike through the woods for a couple hours, they're probably not going to want to go on any more rides with you. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the exploratory ride or even like incorporating that into a planned ride, riding by and saying, Hey, I wonder where that single track goes. And a lot of times though, what I'll do is I'll just gauge it based on how the ride's gone thus far. You do a small section of like some overgrown like trash trails and see how many people are complaining. And if there's a lot of complaints, then I won't do any more of that. But, you know, if people are into it and they're like, whoa, I never knew that was there. That was cool. Then, yeah, I feel like I have the license to take the group on even wilder stuff. Yeah, I think uh, another point, a more general point is just be flexible. Listen to the people that are following you. If they're not having a good time, it's time to make some changes. Yep. All right, so what about navigation for your route? How are you going to know where you're going? Well, hopefully you've already done the route before. Um, but if you haven't, GPS is always a pretty good idea to have, especially if you're the ride leader. Don't expect other people to bail you out you know if you get lost. like You need to be, you need to be the leader, so you need to be prepared. And if you don't have a GPS, then ask somebody to bring one or get an app on your smartphone, but it's definitely an important thing to have. And then paper maps as well, you know, depending where you're riding, these can be really helpful. I and mean, this is a good backup for your GPS in case, you know, battery goes dead or there's a solar eclipse and your GPS doesn't work anymore. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and then also apps as well, you know, for your smartphone, these can help you navigate trails just like paper maps and GPS units. Yeah, I always bring a, an app and a map pretty much all the time with me. Sometimes they're just good to answer questions when somebody's like, oh, where does that trail go? As we've said a few times, if you don't know where you're going, you know, should you really be leading this ride? Probably not. Make sure you know where you're going. That's always a good thing. 
Yeah, and if you don't, maybe you want to like nominate a, a co-captain who's because you know navigation isn't everyone's strong suit. I think I I have a fairly good sense of direction, so you know I generally know like to get out of here if, if things go badly, we need to go east. So I know which direction east is, and like if we go east, we'll eventually hit this gravel road. Um, just if navigation isn't your strong suit, and you're still like stoked to lead a ride, find a riding buddy that is good at navigating, and you guys can co-lead. All right, so let's talk a little bit about supplies. We talk a lot on single tracks. We've written numerous articles on being self-sufficient and the importance of being self-sufficient on a ride. That's just part of mountain biking. Uh, That's our stance anyway. But as a ride leader, you should probably bring some extra stuff with you, right? Yeah, it's always a good idea if you're the leader to bring extra everything. So one of the rides that I regularly lead is a night ride. And so I almost always bring an extra light in case people's lights break down. In terms of like food and hydration, it's always great to have extra water with you if you can carry it and extra snacks too. Also, somebody years ago saved me on a ride by having some of those electrolyte pills in their pack. You know, I was having bad, bad leg cramps and I don't know if those the ride leader or not, but it was somebody who was prepared and they were like, here you go. And magic pills got me through to the end. So magic pills. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't electrolyte. Maybe it was something else. I should have found out. <laughs> Just take these Jeff. Yeah. I, I like to carry a, some sort of water filtration, whether that's a you know filter itself or iodine pills or something like that in case you need to filter water on the route. I've, I've, been testing a it's called a trail shot filter from msr recently it's fairly inexpensive i think it's 40 bucks 45 bucks something like that it's really easy it's about the size of your fist maybe a little bit smaller and it takes about a minute to fill up a bottle you don't have to do any like additional treatment afterwards for us here in the southeast you can actually get away with just riding with a couple bottles or maybe a less than full camelback at the start because there are plenty of opportunities to refill water along the way Yeah, so another thing that I like to be stocked up on is extra tools and spare parts. Honestly, the ride that I lead is in town, like in the city here in Atlanta. So I don't bring a lot of extra tools beyond the regular stuff like tubes and pump, like a multi-tool. Just because if you have a breakdown and and can't fix it with basic tools, then you just call an Uber or something and and get a ride home. Definitely for backcountry rides, I would recommend having... A lot of extra tools yeah again everyone should have the bare essentials for themselves you know so that that means a tube some sort of inflation whether that's a pump or co2 and a multi-tool so that's the kind of stuff everyone should have on every ride but it's not a bad idea to maybe if you're leading throw an extra tube in your pack maybe a patch kit for tubes tire plugs you know chain ring bolts those can sometimes go missing mid-ride cleats hardware definitely had some of those come out zip ties can do a whole lot and then if things go really badly it's a good idea to have some sort of flashlight or a headlamp um, should should you be out after dark when you didn't intend to yeah um, on that same ride where everything seemed to go wrong the new rider didn't have any flats but the other guy that was with me is a, a guy i ride with all the time he had three flats going down this one descent um, but he had three tubes with him which I was really impressed by. <laughs> I was like, seriously? Uh, but he was prepared and he, he made it out. So it was. I was thoroughly impressed by that, actually. 
Yeah, one other thing to mention, one of the other guys who leads uh, the Tuesday Night Rides with me, he always has a really well-stocked first aid kit, and he's not afraid to use it. I'm afraid to use it, man. If I see somebody bleeding, like I'm going to delegate that (laughs) right away to someone else because I can't stand the sight of blood. But, yeah, that's a good thing to have in your pack if you got the room for it and if you're leading a ride because – if somebody gets hurt, everybody's going to look to you and they're going to be like, what do we do? And you don't want to be there just saying, oh, shoot, I didn't think of that. You want to be you be Johnny on the spot with the first aid. Finally, make sure you've got enough clothing. So I always bring a rain jacket with me. You know, Consider warm layers if it's uh, questionable weather. And you could consider an emergency poncho for someone who doesn't bring their own jacket if you really want to be extra special prepared. In the case of my friend falling in the stream, I hadn't gotten wet, so I was okay after night fell, but as we descended, we got to a dirt road and we're moving faster, that being wet to the bone and then having that cold air like rushing over him was like getting really sketchy, so I was able to loan out my own jacket since I didn't need it. But if we had both needed it, then we could have been in a world of hurt, so consider extra layers. Along those lines, an emergency blanket is a good thing to have in your pack. I mean, they pack down super small. I mean, they weigh next to nothing, and there's all kinds of uses for those if there's an emergency, hence the name. (laughs) All right, so we're talking about supplies. We talked about the route, all that jazz. So now we're, we're getting ready to pull the trigger, send out invites. So we need to talk logistics. So uh, what, what does all that entail? Depends on the the size of the group that you're trying to coordinate. If you're trying to just get a whole bunch of random people together, something like a Facebook event can work well, but you're not going to have the ability to control who decides to come and who doesn't. If you're just trying to hit a small group of friends, uh, you can do something like send out an email a week in advance with an overview of the route. You can then discuss your carpool options based on who's coming and what type of route you're doing. Again, as we mentioned before, logistics are much more difficult on a point-to-point or a shuttle route, so that make sure you count very closely for that. Send out a text the morning of. Make sure everybody is going to be there on time. I would add responding to your text messages, especially if you're planning to go. <laughs> Something I run into a lot is people not responding and then you know, showing up and expecting the plan to be the same. Respond. Let people know that you're in. Just be communicative if you're on the receiving end of that. Um, but one thing to consider is I find that if you're trying to lead a regular weekly group ride similar to what Jeff does, it's generally best to start at the same time in the same place every single week. That way, people know when and where to meet. It becomes a habit, and it's not as much of a logistical nightmare to try to figure it out every single time. You know, It's a bit easier to say, hey, we're starting at this trailhead for this big trail system at 6 p.m. on Tuesdays, and then every Tuesday at 6 p.m., there you are riding. Depends a little bit on the type of ride you're putting together. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that format, you know, having like a standing ride. And it really helps also have rules associated with that. So you say, if it's raining at the time of the start, we're not going to go, but otherwise somebody's going to be there. And then and then you got to you got to work with your core group of riders to make sure that someone is there. You know, even if you can't be there to ride it, you should make sure that somebody's going to be there and that they're capable of leading the ride. I also have I have two other public service announcements here. One <laughs> is to avoid group text messages if you can, especially if it's like the early stages of planning a ride. You know, what what invariably happens is you compose a text message to like 10 guys and say, "Hey, who's up for riding 
this trail on Saturday morning. And six of those guys are like, no, nah, I can't. And then the other four are trying to coordinate like when and where and all that stuff. And it's like those other six people, they don't care anymore. Like they want off that list. So <laughs> be really judicious about the group text if you're setting up rides that way. And maybe until you get that core group of people who are definitely going, you know, you send them out the invites sort of one by one. And then the other thing that I'll say, and this applies not just to group rides, these sort of unofficial events, but also races or anything where you're trying to get people to show up at a certain place at a certain time. Just remember back to what you learned in elementary school. You know, whenever there's like an event or something going on, you, you want to know who, what, when, where, why, and how. I can't tell you how many race websites or Facebook groups I've seen where, you know, they'll be missing one of those key details. It'll be like, oh, this sounds like a great event. It's at this place. What time does it start? Or like, where do I show up? You got to have all those details. So just use that list, you know, to mentally go through and make sure you've covered all the bases because it's really easy to forget them apparently because people do it all the time. Got one more public service announcement in there. You can turn off notifications from a group text. (laughs) So if you decide you don't want any more info, you can be like, Turn off the notifications and you won't get any more, which is always convenient. Oh, I didn't know that. Is that just an Apple thing or is that, can you do that on anything? I don't know. I've got Apple, so that's that's all I know. But, you know, generally there's features for this stuff. you got to be smarter than the phone. <laughs> I'm still using a flip phone, so I don't think it has that. Just kidding. <laughs> He's got a razor. Um, yeah, and I would say one more thing on, on this, you know, just be respectful of everyone's time. So let people know if you're running late, let them know ASAP. Don't wait until you're, you know, the meetup time to be like, oh, I'm 20 minutes behind because that's, that's a bad look. If you're meeting somewhere at a trailhead, if you let people know you're running behind, maybe they can go get a delicious chicken biscuit from Bojangles or something while they wait for you to show up. <laughs> Be clear about, like Jeff said, where you're meeting exactly and uh, also what time. And and also, in addition to the time, you need to say, is that a ready-to-ride time or is that just the time we're meeting up? You know, are you meeting at the trail at 9 or is it ready-to-ride at 9? Because those are two very different things. I know some people are a little bit slower to get ready than others, which is fine. That just means you need a little more time. But if you... You know, if it's ready to ride at 9 a.m. and you show up at 9 a.m. and, you know, you still need to get dressed and check your tire pressure and adjust your sag and everyone's going to be burning holes in the in the back of your head with their with their evil stares. So don't do that. One hack that uh, was successful for us for a while was we told everybody that the ride started at 830, but we actually were rolling out at 845 every time. But people figured that out eventually, and now they're all showing up at 845. So. <laughs> Yeah, use that use that trick till it doesn't work anymore. All right, so we've got our route, we've got our supplies, we've got our people, so we're ready to ride. So, um, what are, what are some important things to keep in mind right before you roll out and during the ride itself? So you don't want to lose anybody. So as you roll out, make sure you get a head count. Figure out how many people you've got with your group, and <laughs> every time you regroup, make sure you have that many people. That's a that's a good good thing to do make sure everybody's ready to roll it's not a bad idea to verbally ask if people have the supplies that they need sometimes people need a gentle reminder sometimes yeah the head count is really important and it it can be tough when you have a really big group we've tried doing the thing where you say like count off and it gets to like three and then nobody (laughs) nobody can paying attention right i don't know why 
but yeah, get a head count if you can. And then also, you know, it really depends if what type of ride it is. Some rides are uh, what are considered no drop. And I think that's almost entirely what we're talking about here. Yeah. A no drop ride, meaning uh, you're not going to leave anybody behind or, you know, if they're slow or whatever. But there are some rides that, that are drop rides that, you know, it's a regular thing and people know where they're going and they want to go fast and they're not going to wait for you. No drop ride, definitely want to count of everybody and make sure you got everybody at various points. Yeah, I wanted to uh, mention something kind of along those lines about pacing. You know, so if you're the ride leader and you're the fastest in the group, don't drop your own ride. That's a that's a bad look. If you just take off off the front and everyone's like, oh, where the hell did he go? I guess guess we're doing our own thing. So don't, you know, if you're the fastest, you're the fittest, awesome. But yeah, don't ride off the front and lose everyone. If you're not the fastest and you got some guys in the group that are kind of chomping at the bit, make sure you warn them of any upcoming turns or just, you know, let them know that they need to stop regularly to regroup because if they ride off the front and, you know, they ride all the way to the top of the hill and they weren't supposed to, they're supposed to turn off before, now they're lost. So now your ride turns from a ride into, you know, a search mission, which that's not fun for anyone. So along those lines, talking about regrouping, what should people do as far as that goes? So you definitely want to stop at regular intervals to make sure you have all of your riders, everybody's still going in the same direction on this no-drop style of ride. Uh, so that would include things like stopping at the tops of the hills, you know, maybe sketchy rock gardens that you don't want people to like die in. But I would add stop at all turns or trail junctions, even if they seem obvious. Sometimes you roll through a trail junction, you're like, oh, they everybody knows to go this way. That might not be the case. So that's generally I'm regrouping at every trail junction, and that's almost always my regroup point, you know, is just every time I see a crossing. And depending on where you're riding, you know, there may be a ton of junctions. At least that's sort of what it's like where I do a lot of my rides. There are a couple of ways to do, deal with this so you're not stopping all the time. One, you can call out the turn. So, you know, as soon as you see a turn, you yell out right or left and hope that the person behind you hears it and they're able to call it back down the line as well. And then the other thing that I say, and maybe this is just me being the leader and, you know, not understanding what it's like to be following on a ride. But I feel like you need to slow down enough so that the person behind you sees which way you turned. And that should go all the way back down the line. So say I'm leading the, leading the ride and I take a right turn. I slow down, make sure the guy behind me makes that right turn. But then he needs to wait there for the next person. And that way you don't have to have the whole group stop. Can really You can keep the group together better because – He's waiting at that turn. I'm up at the next turn already, and you know my guy's not right behind me, so I'm going to stop there. That's a way to just kind of keep the group together, and it doesn't, you know, mean like everybody stop and get cooled down and start talking, and you know that can that can make your ride drag on much longer than it needs to. So I like to keep kind of like a rolling stop, if that makes sense. Yeah, Greg, you mentioned something really important that I, I for forgot to include on the outline it can be really tempting once you hit a downhill to just to like pin it and rip it all the way down to the bottom of the mountain you know i like going fast i go up to get down but yeah especially if there's a really chunky uh, descent or something where you know someone could stack up and really hurt themselves it's a good idea to stop just past that obviously you don't want to stop at the bottom of a run out or something from a descent but stop and just make sure everybody made it through a particularly treacherous section because that'll save you from being at the bottom and waiting and wondering because 
you know, maybe they just had a flat and they're just taking a little time to repair it. And, you know, you're at the bottom and you're wondering and you're worrying and then you start climbing up the hill and where if you just stopped partway down the descent, you know, you, you would have solved that problem. So group rides are probably, well, if you're the leader, definitely not the place to go uh, break Strava records. That reminds me of our ride down Pikes Peak a couple of years ago. I, I don't know. I guess John was kind of the ride leader for that. But I remember at some point near the bottom, Aaron, you and I were at an intersection and everybody else had gone on ahead. And we were like, uh, where do we go? Because everybody else was just ripping it down. And we fortunately picked the right way. But it happens. It's hard to stop. Turns out it was down. Right. Yeah. That's all the <laughs> advice we needed, but we didn't even get that advice. Yeah. We it should have just sure. been, there's a question, just keep heading down. But yeah, so don't, don't do that though. Regroup regularly, as we said. What about ride and sweep? What's that, Greg? So especially if you have a bigger group of riders, if you have, say, a good friend that you know is pretty strong, you could possibly put them uh, at the rear of the group or yourself and have them be the sweep rider. And that means they'll sort of pick up all the riders behind you so you don't necessarily have to worry about somebody getting lost or getting left behind. I am not personally great at doing that just because I get really impatient, but it's just got to take a lot of patience on the the part of the sweep rider, but uh, that can be a really good thing. If somebody flats and maybe somebody new, they don't have the stuff they need, maybe this sweep rider will have the pump in the tube or something happens you have somebody back there that can pick up the pieces, but you need to choose your sweep rider pretty carefully as well. Very yeah. true. Yeah. I think, I think you nailed it too. It's gotta be the most patient person on the ride, not necessarily the fastest or the slowest or the oldest or the youngest. It's gotta be the person who can, who can hang back and deal with the situations that arise at the back of the pack, which are not always pretty. Uh, no, it definitely takes the right attitude to run sweep. As I can tell you, I'm like you, Greg, I'm not the most patient person, but, uh, I have gotten nominated to ride sweep most recently. Uh, well, I guess the largest sweep ride I did was for, uh, one of the faster mustache events we did here in Atlanta. And we had, I don't know, a hundred and something riders and riding in town, single track and all other sorts of crazy stuff. And so you can imagine this event was open to anyone that wanted to show up. So we had all types on all types of bikes with uh, all types of maintenance issues. So (laughs) it was a trying day and uh, I was very glad to be done with that at the end of the day and drinking beer. One one more thing on the uh, regroup. When the last rider does reach the rest of the group, you know, give them a chance to catch their breath, have a drink, have a snack, check in on them. You know, don't coddle them. Don't embarrass them in front of everyone. But, you know, give them a chance to catch their breath if they're dragging a little bit. You don't want to be like, oh, there's Jeff. Let's pin it, you know, because uh, we can go now. He's yeah, here. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's just going to put them further behind throughout the day. Moving on. As Greg said, shit happens, which sucks. What do you do in case of an emergency? You know, disaster can strike at any moment, whether that's through a bad crash, a major mechanical, ripping your derailleur off, breaking a wheel, or just getting exhausted. So this is this is really important why we, we talked about earlier. This is why you need to know your route, like the back of your hand. You need to know where the bailout points are. So uh, any advice here, guys? Number one is to stick together. This ties into... You know, not leaving anybody behind. But if you're on a trail system where you can, say, send somebody back to the start, have somebody bail out early, it's not always a great idea to send 
the rider that's having issues back to the start alone because they're already not in a great spot and they they may or may not even know how to navigate back to the beginning depending on the complexity of the trail system so if you decide to take that sort of a stance where you want to send one person back and let everybody else keep riding i think it's a good idea to pick again another patient friend from the group who knows the trails well who's very competent and self-sufficient send them back with the rider that's bailing so you're not worried about one person getting lost on their own uh, i've had to do that before and it's it's best to try to keep everybody together and if generally it's best to call the entire ride but sometimes you you don't want to do that on our ride again it's a no drop ride and for many years we were successful we never lost anybody and we would we would mention that when someone new would come we say oh don't worry we never lost anybody but eventually we did lose some people and you know zero days without an incident yeah <laughs> everyone survived in the end but the thing that that made us successful for all those years was when you know that someone's missing from a ride like you've accidentally dropped them on a trail it's best to have the group wait at a known spot and then send back like one or two people who know their way around and they can find that person and, and get them back. There have been times when people have decided to, you know, send out multiple search parties and that just ends up with like more people getting lost. So you need a search party for the search party. Exactly. I, I don't recommend that. I say, you know, send one or two people back to look for the person and then move on. And and I'll say one of the things that the people that we did lose, a lot of times that was because People just left the ride without telling us. And, you know, that's bad on them. Like, they should let somebody know if they're, you know, bailing early and going home. But it's also bad on the ride leader because the ride leader should have a way to contact everyone on the ride. You know, especially if you're riding somewhere where you have cell service. So so that means either you need to have, like, a buddy system set up. I know Aaron's really good about that when we do the Brutal Loop, reminding everybody to have an accountability bro. Or uh, brodette. Or brodette. So that at least, you know, if one if one person's missing, somebody knows who it is and hopefully they know how to get in touch with that person, make sure they're okay. On our ride, we know most of the people who show up, but if someone brand new shows up, we do try to get like their cell phone numbers so that we can text them or whatever and say, are you okay? Are you dead? You know, should we send a search party? In one case on a recent ride too, we lost, we lost a guy like right before the end. I mean, we were like quarter mile from pizza and... <sighs> And this guy was, he was just gone like a, like a ghost, he just disappeared. And so, yeah, we sent people back and like, you know, everybody's ready to eat pizza and drink beer and never did find this guy. So I was worried about it. You know, we were at the pizza place and everything. And as soon as I got home, I was like, man, I hope that guy was all right. So fortunately I found him on Strava. He wasn't somebody that I knew or was a friend, but you know, I saw that he was on the ride. And so I sent a message saying, hope you're okay. Like, sorry, we lost you, but <laughs> Um, yeah, always have a way to contact people if you can. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on what Greg brought up again about, you know, sending someone back early. If you don't know the person and you're not fully confident in in their navigation abilities or their knowledge of the trail system, don't send them by themselves, you know, because uh, again, like people, you know, nobody wants to have to bail, right? And if you are the one bailing, you're already kind of embarrassed, you know, you're probably feeling bad and so you you might overestimate your your ability or your confidence to get back and that's going to lead to a, a very bad situation depending on you know the trail system where you're at so unless you you know the person very well and you know that 
they know where they're going and how to get back, do like Greg said and uh, send them send them with an accountability bro to get them back to the car or have the whole ride call, right? Because you gotta you gotta know when to call it, right, Greg? Yeah, I would say you know be sort of conscious of how the group is trending on the ride. Like if things are starting to get ugly, don't wait until you're past the point of sketchiness to call things off. You know, try to call things before it's like it's getting really bad like if the weather's rolling in call it before somebody gets struck by lightning you know just uh try to not get to the point of where something really bad happens but sometimes you know you get to the point where something bad has happened uh, like on my ride with the, the friend i was mentioning earlier we're going down this trail there's no bailout option you know the fastest way down was to continue down the trail so sometimes you get to the point where something bad happens you don't have a bailout option. You can't just call it, or you're trying to call it as fast as possible, but it's still going to take some work to get out. At that point, you really need to like triage the situation and decide like what the big issues are and how to best get your group out safely. And to do that, you you have to immediately adjust your expectations for the ride. So, for instance, once uh, you know, we'd stop partway down the descent, we realized friend had you know torn a big hole in his knee wasn't riding well had bent his rear wheel it was like all right the, the ride instantly changes to the point of we're now not ripping down to the descent we're going you know half a mile at a time and then regrouping and continuing on and making our way slowly down you know because we're like all right we just gotta make sure everybody gets out of this ride safely and then when you know my competent friend had his third flat it was full dark my new friend was on the edge of, you know, I didn't want him to get, get to hypothermia, but I was like, we could be risking hypothermia here. I was like, all right, well, I need to keep moving, you know, my new friend down the mountain. I knew my guy that I'd been riding with for years. I knew he could take care of himself. I was like, I've got to keep moving this guy out so we don't get into an even worse situation. You don't want to get into these spots, but when you do, you've got to really readjust your expectations just to make sure everybody gets out safe and sound as possible. That's right. Sometimes you got to reboot the the ride in safe mode, right? Yeah, exactly. Safe mode. I have this thing where I never want to call like search and rescue or something, but you know, don't be afraid to call for help if you need it. I mean, I've had to call 911 on the trail for a broken hit before. Um, it was in a race, so thankfully we weren't like in the middle of. We were pretty much in the middle of freaking nowhere. But there's a great article on the website from Nancy Anderson, who works in search and rescue, about how search and rescue works. But one of the takeaways is is it's free. At least uh, in all over Colorado, search and rescue is free. So if you need help, it's best to call before like you're on the edge of dying. Exactly. Be smart. Don't die. <laughs> That's if you take nothing else from this episode. That's the main point here. All right. Well, hopefully you guys uh, learned something from this episode. I know I did. So maybe you can get out there and and lead a ride if it's something you've been thinking about. These tips uh, should help you lead a successful ride. So if you're enjoying the Single Tracks podcast, and we know you are, uh, go on iTunes and rate us. You know, four stars, five stars, you know, something like that. We really appreciate it. It helps other mountain bikers find us and listen to the sweet, dulcet tones of our voices. So that's all we have for this week. We'll catch you next time on the Single Tracks Podcast. Peace. Thank you.